I'm fascinated by those who uh, truly enjoy their life and live fulfilled life as single people. And the lady by the name of Harriet Hartburn died at the age of 87. She was a spinster. And she wrote in her will, she said, I don't want anyone to write or put the word Miss, M-I-S-S, on my tombstone, for I haven't missed as much as some people might think. (laughs) It was said of William Jennings Bryan that when he went to ask his future father-in-law for his daughter's hand in marriage, knowing that his future father-in-law is a preacher, he thought he would impress him and by quoting the scripture. So he, uh, he went over, he said, Sir, he said, uh, Proverbs 18.22 said that uh, whoever finds a wife finds a good thing. Well, the old preacher was not going to be outdone, not only <laughs> in terms of quoting Scripture, but uh, fathers don't let go of their daughters very easily. So he said, uh, he said, young man, the Apostle Paul said, and this is the passage of our day, he said, uh, that he who marries does well, but he who does not marry does better. Well, all the young guy was just scratching his head and didn't know what to say. And finally, a moment of inspiration came. He said, yes, sir, I know. Paul did not have a wife, but Solomon had 700 wives. He's a better judge about marriage than Paul. <laughs> now, one of the most important principles in this chapter, chapter 7, turn to it with me, please, of 1 Corinthians It's found, verses 12 to 14. Paul is saying that if your spouse is an unbeliever, if you are a believing spouse and you have an unbelieving spouse, and your unbelieving spouse is contented to live with you, respect you, honor you in your walk with God, stay with him. Don't dump him, don't dump her, stay with him. Why? Because God always works with and through families. You see it throughout the scripture. Because when the unbelieving spouse expresses willingness and respect for your walk with God, it means that God somehow has a plan for his or her life. It may take a much longer time than you'd like. It may be frustrating at times. It may be hard at times. And maybe at times you wish that you had a godly spouse. But don't despair. God has a blessing in store for your unbelieving spouse because of you and because of your faith. God has a plan for him or her. Verse 14 tells you why. Otherwise, he said, your children are unclean. What's that mean? God looks upon the family unit as a unit, even if they are spiritually divided. The entire family is graced, even with only one member of the family is a believer. God makes covenants with families. And in His sovereign plan, when one member of that family comes to the kingdom of God under the Lordship of Jesus Christ, somehow, somewhere, sometime, God is going to bless that whole family. That's what He's saying. You remember Abraham interceding on behalf of Sodom and Gomorrah? He was a good Middle Easterner. He knows how to bargain. So he started bargaining with God. (laughs) He said, Lord, he said, if there are 50 people in Sodom who are righteous, will you 
save the city. Now, God knew what Abraham was heading for. <laughs> but he said, yes, Abraham. What about 40, Lord? And the God, Lord said, fine, Abraham. I know where you're going, but that's all right. What about 30, Lord? He said, yes, if there were 30 righteous, I'll spare the city. Lord, what about if there are 20? He said, I'll spare it for 20. He said, okay, this is my last deal. <laughs> what about if there are 10 righteous people in Sodom? Will you spare the whole city? And God said, Abraham, I want to tell you, I will spare the city for the sake of 10. That's our God. That's our God. He will bless your family because of you. God will spare your spouse. God will bless your spouse. God is going to spare your children. God is going to bless your children if you are a believer. And if you are not a believing spouse and you're listening to my voice, listen carefully. God has blessed you all of these years because of your believing spouse. Turn to the Lord today. That's what he wants you to do. I know, often think, if only the corporation, if only the business world, if only the government, if only these people realize that they are being blessed because of the Christians who are in their boards, because of the believers who are in the staff, because of the believers who are in their offices, if they only can comprehend what a blessing God gives this nation simply because of the remnant that is never bowed to Baal. He said, but if the unbelieving spouse decides to leave, If he or she is adamant to leave, let them leave with your blessing. And at that point he said that you are not under bondage in such a case. See, the marriage bonds in the sight of God are broken when a spouse dies, or the unbelieving spouse leaves, or committing adultery. This is a very important passage. And he's very clear about it. Yet there is so much confusion, there's so much erroneous teaching that's going around. I even heard about a woman who ended up in a mental institution simply because some evangelist told her that what she needed to do, she needed to leave her second husband, who's a believing husband, and go back to her drunken husband, her unbelieving husband. It is absolute foolishness. And ended up in a mental institution because she couldn't understand that incredible demand that the Scripture's not even making. We need to understand what Paul is saying. I want you especially to look at verses 18, 19, and 20. Please, I want you to hear me right. Sometimes friends and advisors can give you conflicting advice. Wonderful as they are, friends are not substitute for the Word of God. In fact, it was the advice of some well-meaning friends that literally ruined John Wesley's marital life. He came from England at the age of 32 as a missionary in Savannah, Georgia. And he fell in love with a, a Georgia peach. <laughs> and he wanted to marry her. Some well-meaning friends said to him, Oh, it will be more pleasing to the Lord if you remain single. In fact, one of them suggested finally, what they need to do is to draw lots to discern the will of God. So they got three pieces of paper. And the first one they said, Mary. <laughs> and the next one said, Think of it not this year. And the third piece that says, think of it, never. And they folded the paper in a container, and Wesley agreed with that foolish idea. And then he put his hand down and pulled the piece of paper, and it says, think of it, never. He broke his engagement. She was a daughter of a judge in Savannah, and he left her behind and went back to England. Fifteen years later, at the age of 47, he married a wealthy widow, 
who turned out to be a poor companion for the ministry, turned out to be a true hindrance for the ministry. For 20 years, John Wesley lived in a marital misery until after 20 years, she decided to leave him. Someone said he should have married the Georgia Peach. In fact, it's reputed that John Wesley was asked one time, Mr. Wesley, have you ever met Satan face to face? He said, no, but I'm married to his sister. <laughs> Love those preachers of yesteryears. They just called the spade spade. <laughs> Friends are great. They are wonderful. But their advice is not a substitute for reading the Word of God for yourself, for discerning the Word of God for yourself, for discerning the will of God in your life for yourself. So what is the point of verses 18 all the way to 24? He's saying, be contented where you are in Christ. Learn that contentment. Be contented where God has called you. Be contented with what God has for you. Be contented in discerning and following the will of God in your life. Don't live a life of discontentment all the time and you wonder whether you're missing out on something or what about this and what about that. Be contented. In fact, during Paul's time, there were Jews who did not like to be called Jews and wanted to behave like Gentiles. And they would talk like Gentiles, act like Gentiles, and dress like Gentiles. They didn't like themselves to be Jews. And we know from Galatians that there are some Gentiles who thought that you're not really a good Christian until you become a Jew first. So they began to act like Jews and behave like Jews and talk like Jews. Paul is saying, this is crazy. Be who you are in Christ. You don't have to be somebody else. Paul is saying, don't allow the external circumstances to push you around. Don't allow the outside forces to mold your life. Don't allow the peer pressure to shape your morals. Don't let the popular culture squeeze you into its mold. Don't permit the television to be your guide for living. Don't allow the discontentment of your friends to infect your situation. Don't let somebody's unhappiness, somebody's malcontentment in their own marriage to impact you and make you walk out in your marriage. Don't let married people tell you if you are single that you're not fulfilled until you get married. Don't let them do that. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying. took me a long time to say it, but that's what he's saying. (laughs) Be contented with what God has for you in your life. I read about the discontented husband who's always thinking, I've got to do this, I've got to do this, I'm missing out on this, and I'm missing out on a poor wife just having a hard time with him. And one day he was browsing through some travel brochures. He said, boy, I'd like to do what this brochure said. She said, what does it say? He said, oh, I'd like to travel to the Holy Land, stand up on top of Mount Sinai, and shout the Ten Commandments. She looked at him and she said, honey, you'll do much better to stay home and keep them. <laughs> Finally, verses 25 to 40, Paul recites some practical advantages to being single. But I'm telling you what Paul is saying, okay? I want to make that (laughs) disclaimer up front. (laughs) I want to go home for dinner tonight, you know. (laughs) Since, spiritually speaking... The single person 
and a married person have no advantages over each other, that since no one spiritually superior because of their marital condition, therefore Paul is saying that single people have some practical advantages that married people do not have. You know, most of the books that I read or browse quickly or seminars, the material that I look at for single people, they're conducting them for single people. I think they have erroneous assumption in my judgment. That's my personal opinion. And it is this, that single people are not quite normal. Certainly, it is not desirable. I looked at some material, and, and all it is was trying to help the single people to cope. That's not what Paul is saying here. He's saying if you're single, rejoice in it and have fun. Serve the Lord. Verse 25, he tells us, Clearly that this is his personal counsel, another command from the Lord. But if you want to go to the Apostle Paul's office and seek his counsel, the first thing he's going to ask you, if you're going to ask him about marriage, he'll say, do you have the gift of remaining single? If you say yes, he'll say, here's my advice to you, stay single. What are his reasons? Well, there are three of them. First of all, verses 25 to 28, he said, because of that present distress. Don't forget. And when Paul was writing these epistles, in context, he was writing them to a people who have been persecuted for their faith. In fact, it was a matter of a few years from the time he wrote this epistle to the Corinthians when Nero started his crazy persecution that went around the Roman Empire, but specifically in Rome. It wasn't very many months probably from the time they received this letter when Nero was covering the believers with wax and letting them burn as human candles in his gardens. It wasn't long before Nero was sewing up Christians with animal skin and throwing them to wild dogs to rip them up and devour them. Remember that. That's what the believers went through in the first century. And Paul is saying that the persecution is difficult enough for a single person. It is multiplied when a spouse and children involve. I believe had Paul had a family, probably would not have accomplished the great things that he has accomplished for the kingdom of God. And he sees that intensity in his own life, and he said, I'll give you that advice. That's my advice to you. It's not a command from the Lord. It's an advice. When we were in North Africa, where the country we were in, there were 20 million people in the population, 1,000, maximum 1,000 Christians in the whole nation, living underground, Certainly was our preaching in the Church of England, the Anglican Church in Casablanca. They could not come and hear me because they were afraid the police would see them coming in. But I was preaching to the English-speaking congregation, to the Westerners. So I met with them, and I was talking to somebody in another city. I was saying, are you married? He said, well, he said, no, I'm really not married. Number one, we can't find too many believing women in our culture. But secondly, most of us are probably going to be thrown into prison at some point. And we don't want to drag our children and our wives into this. That's the kind of language that we don't understand. The comfort of a church in every corner. The comfort of radio and television and books and seminars. We don't understand that. But Paul was writing to people like that. Who understand what it is to be persecuted for Jesus' sake. Paul is telling the single person, If you have the gift of celibacy, cherish it. If you have the gift of celibacy... Use it wisely. Use your time wisely. Use your freedom wisely. Use the resources that God has given you wisely for the kingdom of God. Because that's a gift from God. 
But he's saying really more than this. He is saying that when two people are bound together in marriage, problems of human nature are multiplied. Close living allows you to see your partner and your partner's faults with magnifying glasses. Far more when you had those dizzy heads the time when you were dating. You know? (laughs) On the top of the world and can't see anything wrong. And many couples get united in a rosy fog of optimism. I always like to bring them to reality. (laughs) In my premarital counseling, I always tell them the truth. (laughs) In the beginning of their courtship, they only see each other's good points. (laughs) You know what I mean? Good points. They are blind to their shortcomings. Sometimes I think that might be the grace of God. (laughs) But when the excitement wears off, they can drift to the opposite extreme. What happens? They begin to view their spouse... The very same traits that they thought were wonderful and good, those are the same traits that they begin to criticize. Think about it. Someone called that reverse reasoning. I bet when I give you some examples, you can finish my sentence for me. Here's some of them. She married him because he was strong and masculine. She divorced him because he was very domineering male. Not many amens. He married her because she was fragile and petite. He divorced her because she was so weak and helpless. She chose him because he knew how to provide a good living. And then she divorces him because all he can talk about is his business. (laughs) He married her because she was steady and sensible. He divorced her because she was boring and dull. You notice, same things, just different words. We play word games with our heads, don't we? Paul is simply pointing out that marriage, while it might solve some problems, it can cause a whole lot more. Think twice before leaping. I heard about the country boy who has never heard an Elizabethan English before in his life, and he went to get married, and the preacher stood up there, and he said... Wilt thou have this woman to be your lawful wedded wife? And the poor boy said, yes, I wilt. (laughs) I suppose he did. When you try to put two people together so that they become one, it is impossible without the power of God and the grace of God and the power of God's Holy Spirit. It is like trying to put an octopus in a socks. Have you tried that? Two distinct personalities, two sets of likes and dislikes, two sets of emotions, two sets of characteristics, two sets of temperaments, and two sets of wills. Now the second reason the Apostle Paul is giving us for exercising the gift of celibacy, if you have it, is the shortness of time. Verses 29 all the way to 34. And the focus of these verses is that the world is passing away. Although God ordained marriage, although God blesses marriage, but marriage is not an eternal relationship. Jesus said in Matthew twenty-two thirty that in heaven neither will marry nor given in marriage, just like the angels. Yeah, people say marriage is made in heaven. I say, yeah, so is thunder and lightning. (laughs) 
But even if your marriage is made in heaven, they will not be carried on into heaven. Marriage is designed only for this world. So Paul is saying, if you're married, put God first. If you're single, put God first. Because Paul knew that being single is no guarantee that you will devote that spare time, that you will devote that extra money, that you will devote all that God has blessed you with for the kingdom of God. He knew that. He said, you can do it that way. That's what you should do it. It's not necessarily a guarantee that you will do that. And therefore, because he knew that he goes on to include all areas of our lives, both for the single and the married. And here's what he's saying. Because life is short, therefore let not sorrow eat you up. Don't go around complaining about the problems you have in life. Don't let your problems be the focus of your life. That's what he's saying. Because of the shortness of time, don't let joy and happiness be the preoccupation of your life. Don't jump from one experience to an experience, from excitement to excitement, from mountaintop to mountaintop. Don't let that be your preoccupation in life. Because of the shortness of time, don't let your possessions possess you, but you possess them, you master them, you deal with them ruthlessly by giving it away. Because of the shortness of life, don't let your physical need consume you. Don't worry constantly about your aches and pains and about your toes and your knees. and your. Get out of that. Focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I'll say it for all of you. <laughs> Thirdly, there is an underlying reason here that is not very clear in this passage without an explanation of the historical background to it. But in... Uh, The last verses, 36 to 40, he was talking about those who are virgins but not married. Well, they really are engaged but not married, and it's it's sort of confusing. I'm going to give you the background to this. In the Jewish culture, also carried on in the Roman culture, parents had a final say on who their daughters should marry. I know some fathers would have liked that privilege, but it's not in our day. Some historians actually credit the decline of the Roman Empire when parental rights were undermined and when arranged marriages ceased. And I'm not going to touch that one. I'm going to move on. I'm just quoting it. (laughs) But what happened, some of the Christian fathers, because they saw the rampant immorality, they decided to dedicate their daughters as virgins for the rest of their lives when they were little. And even when they grew older, and they married somebody, got engaged to somebody, they never consummated the marriage. They lived together, but they never really consummated their marriage. That's what he talks about the virgins here. He said, marry. So there was a lot of guilt going on. Those who cannot withhold themselves want to get married, and then the fathers worried about their vows. They made the vow to the Lord for the girls growing up. Didn't like Papa making that decision for them. And who blames them? Here's what the Apostle Paul is saying in that last passage. Difficult as it is, but really simple. He's saying to the Christian fathers, don't have guilt about your vows for your daughters to be virgins for the rest of their lives. Don't ever have that guilt. Because marriage is good and wholesome. Nothing wrong with it. He's telling those who have betrothed to each other but remain separate that to go ahead and get married if that's what God is calling them to do. Don't live under guilt. You see, the thing is that the Bible and the Word of God and the Apostle Paul never put us under false guilt. And he's saying, if you have the gift of being a celibate, fine. If you don't get married, and that's okay too, don't live 
under false guilt because of man-made rules. The principle here that is repeated again and again, that believers must learn to be contented in whatever condition and situation they are. You're unhappy in your job? You're unhappy in your marriage? Remember, God put you there. He has a purpose and He has a plan for you. Figure out what it is. Learn to love God and love His kingdom above everything else and above everybody else. Learn to put God first in your life. That's really the point that Paul makes again and again, at least half a dozen times in this particular chapter. And he said, when you do that, you will be made an overcomer. God will make you victorious. God will bless you and will bless those who are around you in ways that you have never thought possible or you don't even understand. Whether it is discontentment in the home, discontentment in the church, discontentment wherever it may be, it is not of God because it is the will of God for each of us to be contented, to rejoice in the Lord in the midst of the circumstances and despite of the circumstances. That if you have been living with the spirit of discontentment in your life, I pray to God that you will let go of it today. Will you pray with me as we come to the Lord? You've been experiencing a spirit of discontentment. You've been feeling really rotten and God is saying, I want you to rejoice in the midst of those circumstances because I'm using you despite of the fact that you don't see it. I am blessing you and I'm blessing others even if you don't see it. Will you let go of that spirit of discontentment? Let the Spirit of God fall upon you and give you His spirit of contentment. Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit ltw.org. That's ltw.org.